Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. We're in 1 Nephi 15 today. Nephi's made it back from his vision and has returned to his family. I wonder sometimes with all the things he's seen, if it was a long time or did it happen quickly? Did his family miss him while he was gone or did they not notice that he was gone? Either way, he had just seen the destruction of his people in the future and he said he was overcome because of it. And I have to think it would be not just physically exhausting, but also mentally exhausting, witnessing the destruction of your own descendants because of the choices they have made. So when he gets back to the tent of his father, he sees his brothers arguing with one another about the things that Lehi saw and the things that Lehi tried to tell them about and what they meant. Uh, This is in verse 3. For he truly spake many great things unto them which were hard to be understood, save a man should inquire of the Lord, and they being hard in their hearts, therefore they did not look unto the Lord as they ought. And now I, Nephi, was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, and also because of the things which I had seen, and knew they must unavoidably come to pass because of the great wickedness of the children of men. So did you hear why they were struggling to understand? Nephi's saying that some of these things were difficult to understand, but there was a way they could have known and understood. And he tells them what that way is. He says, they are difficult, they're hard to understand, except a man should inquire of the Lord. Gotta go ask the Lord. So now he asks them these questions. This is in verse eight. And I said unto them, have ye inquired of the Lord? And they said unto me, we have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Behold, I said unto them, how is it that ye do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that ye will perish because of the hardness of your hearts? Do ye not remember the things which the Lord has said, if ye will not harden your hearts and ask me in faith, believing that ye shall receive, with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. So why were they struggling to understand what these things meant? Well, number one, they had not even asked the Lord themselves to explain it all to them. And why not? Because they said the Lord doesn't tell us these things. But they hadn't even asked. Nephi reminds them that they have to ask, believing they will receive. We can't say, the Lord doesn't answer my prayers. We have to have faith that he will. It also says that they have hard hearts. And it also says they do not keep the commandments of the Lord. Selective obedience is not keeping the commandments. So those three things are also important for us as well, to receive answers from the Lord. I think we talked about this last year in the New Testament podcast. Satan would really love to separate the members of the church from the ability to talk to our Father in Heaven, to receive personal revelation for ourselves. President Russell M. Nelson said, The privilege of receiving revelation is one of the greatest gifts of God to his children. And if that's true, and I testify that it is, then why is it that we don't take advantage of that gift that God has for his children? This is what Bruce R. McConkie says, and again, I think we said this also last year in the New Testament. The visions of eternity are not reserved for apostles. They are not reserved for the general authorities. Revelation is something that should be received by every individual. Any individual who abides the law that entitles him to get revelation can know exactly and precisely what President Kimball, that was during President Kimball's um, presidency, What President Kimball knows can entertain angels just as well as Joseph Smith entertained them and can be in tune in full measure with all of the things of the Spirit. That was Bruce R. McConkie. You can know the same things in the same way as the prophet or the general authorities. It's your right and opportunity to know exactly what they know. Just as Laman and Lemuel had that right to ask Father in Heaven what all of this meant. But... 
personal revelation is not a passive process. We have to work at it. I think listening is the hardest part and waiting for the answers. So it takes time and effort and patience as we learn to hear the voice of the Lord and recognize it, something Laman and Lemuel were unwilling to do. Robert Millet and Joseph Fielding McConkie said, the meanness of their spirits naturally robs them of the confidence that they could approach the Lord and have him respond. That's interesting, isn't it? So our attitude is everything as we go to the Lord to ask. Sometimes we can be caught inquiring of Google instead of the Lord for the answers we're seeking. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to Google answers because I've had some wonderful experiences Googling a talk by the general authorities who I have gotten some insight for. But then it's up to me to go to the Lord and ask for understanding about what it means for me and for my life and how I can best put it into practice. So since his brothers refused to ask the Lord, Nephi sets about to explain to them what some of the things mean. I guess he doesn't want them to be totally blinded. First, he tells them about the olive tree and how it represents the house of Israel and how they are also of the house of Israel. But I'm going to wait until we get to Jacob to talk about the olive tree. He gives a really long, detailed explanation of it. So we're going to skip it here and go on to some of the other explanations. So let's go down to verse 21. And it came to pass that they did speak unto me again, saying, What meaneth this thing which our father saw in a dream? What meaneth the tree which he saw? And I said unto them, It was a representation of the tree of life, which we also know the tree of life is the love of God. The tree is the love of God. I heard Hank Smith talk about the group, this one of the groups of people that partook of the fruit and then walked away from it. And I'm paraphrasing so if you heard it, of course, I might say it completely, not, might not say it completely the same, but he said, after all the experiences we would have with the Lord, with the Lord and the testimonies we have, what a shame to walk away because of what the world says or does to us. He says we have to partake of the fruit every day if we're going to withstand the things the world throws at us. That means scriptures every day, prayer every day, going to church on Sunday, attending the temple, keeping the commandments allowing ourselves to have an experience with the gospel and the love of God every single day. Okay, let's go back to 23. And they said unto me, What meaneth the rod of iron which our father saw that led to the tree? And I said unto them that it was the word of God, and whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish, neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness to lead them away to destruction. Well, I laugh at Andrew Skinner, who says that in a sense, we're all dartboards and Satan is a professional dart thrower. So what are some of those fiery darts that we might see today? Think about some of those that we see today. Well, you know, immorality and everything, music, movies, the internet, so many things. So how do you avoid those fiery darts? You might want to stop here and talk about some of the ways you could avoid those fiery darts. One of the things I feel is important is for us to decide today where we'll stand. Do we have to get up every day and decide whether we love the Lord, whether we'll go to church, whether we'll do what's right? If we know where we stand, we won't have to decide every day. The things of the world will not affect us and Satan will not have the power to lead us astray. Okay, back to 25. Wherefore I, Nephi, did exhort them to give heed unto the word of the Lord. Yea, I did exhort them with all the energies of my soul, 
and with all the faculty which I possess, that they would give heed to the word of God, and remember to keep his commandments always in all things. And they said unto me, What meaneth the river of water which our father saw? And I said unto them, That the water which my father saw was filthiness, and so much was his mind swallowed up in other things, that he beheld not the filthiness of the water. I mentioned um, when we talked in First Nephi 8 about the river of water that Lehi saw, he doesn't even mention that it's filthy. And here Nephi explains why. He said he was so caught up with other things that he didn't notice, didn't even notice that the water was filthy. I imagine the whole scene was quite overwhelming to see for the first time. Nephi, on the other hand, had already heard his talk. Uh, father talking about it and knew what to expect and so perhaps he was able to see the details that Lehi just didn't mention I don't know just my thought now Nephi tells them that we will all be judged of our works whether they're good or evil this is in verse 33 wherefore if they should die in their wickedness they must be cast off also as to the things which are spiritual which are pertaining to righteousness wherefore they must be brought to stand before God to be judged of their works and if their works have been filthiness they must needs be filthy and if they be filthy it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God if so the kingdom of God must be filthy also but behold I say unto you the kingdom of God is not filthy and there cannot any unclean thing enter into the kingdom of God wherefore there must be must needs be a place of filthiness prepared for that which is filthy and there is a place prepared yea even that awful hell of which I have spoken and the devil is the preparator of it wherefore the final state of the souls of men is to dwell in the kingdom of God or to be cast out because of that justice of which I've spoken so since no unclean thing can enter the kingdom of God, there will have to be a separation of the righteous and the wicked. Robert Millet and Joseph Fielding McConkie in their book said, Light and darkness will never meet. Christ and Satan will never shake hands. The separation of the righteous from the wicked in the world to come is foreshadowed by their separation in mortality. This life, like the one to follow, has its children of light and its children of darkness. The citizens of both kingdoms prepare themselves here for the nature of the society of which they will be a part both in and after death. That was Millet McConkie. So even though they're talking about righteous and wicked, good and evil, and the separation of those two, we also know there are three degrees of glory, and each of us will be assigned to the place and condition to which we feel most comfortable. That'll be based upon our thoughts, our words, and our actions in this life, according to Alma in Alma 12.14. Elder Dallin H. Oaks said many Bible and modern scriptures speak of a final judgment at which all persons will be rewarded according to their deeds or works or the desires of their hearts. But other scriptures enlarge upon this by referring to our being judged by the condition we have achieved. The prophet Nephi describes the final judgment in terms of what we have become he says, and if our works have been filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. So again, um, President Oaks, from such teachings, we conclude that the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts, what we've done. It's an acknowledgement of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. It's not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. 
that was um, President Oaks in a conference report when he was then Elder Oaks back in 2000. I think it's then what changes us, what allows us and ourself, our thoughts, our acts, our everything that we do to be changed so that we become like Jesus Christ. So until next time.